All right, let's look at Genesis chapter 15 this morning. We continue our journey through Genesis. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, Moses, beginning with the account, says, After these things, let me just do a little bit of review. After these things, we are looking at the life of Abram. Abram has gone into the land of promise. He took a little detour for a while, went down to Egypt because of the fear of the famine. While he was there, he made some very poor decisions, as we saw, but God protected him and God blessed him anyway. In chapter 14, we saw that uh, his nephew Lot had settled in Sodom and they were, there was a great war there. The kings invaded, captured Lot. Abraham gathered his army, his army of God, went after the Lot and his family and he conquered them, brought them back. And then the king of Sodom offered him spoils. But Abram said, no, I will not take your money. Not going to take your money. Look at the end of chapter 14. He said, I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and share of the men who went with me. Uh, and then he said, let, let, it, let it not be known that you made me rich. I want you to know that God is the one who prospers me. Of course, in that chapter 14, we have a confrontation with Melchizedek, which in Hebrews chapter 7 tells us the great significance there of that confrontation. But as we begin chapter 15, verse 1, the events of chapter 14 are very important because God says to Abraham, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. And I love what the King James says, I am your very great reward. Now, there are two ways to look at this. One says, I am, your reward will be very great. I like the King James, I am your exceeding great reward. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am, I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, since you have uh, given me no offspring, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man, Eleazar, your servant, he will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside. The Lord took Abram outside. Remember, this is a vision inside the tent. He takes him outside the tent. And he said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Here's the key, verse 6. Then he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and God, he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this journey through Genesis. Thank you, Lord, as we come to this most crucial point in our study. Father, the very foundation of our faith is, comes from this passage this morning. Lord, may we grasp the tremendous truth presented to us in your word today. Father, give us eyes to see and hearts to understand the simplicity of a relationship with God, with you. Father, the, the power of God is given to us, Lord, as we are able to respond in faith. And Lord, we thank you for Abram, about to become Abraham. But God, we thank you for his weak, trembling faith in an almighty, powerful God. Lord, help us to see today, it's not the size of our faith that makes a difference, it's the size of our God who is so great. God, speak to our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled the message this morning, The Great Question. The Great Question. The Great Question is 
asked by Job in Job chapter 9, verse 2. He says, how can a man be in the right before God? How can a man be in the right before God? That's been the question that's been asked throughout history. How can a man, a sinful man, a human, human being like all of us, how can we possibly be right in the eyes of God? Well, Genesis 15, 6 answers that question. Genesis chapter 15 verses 1 through 6 are really foundational for all that we believe as Christians today. The Apostle Paul quoted this passage in Romans. He quoted again as we, Brother Colby read a while ago from Galatians. Abram believed God. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Church, what we're looking at this morning is the simple yet profound doctrine of justification by faith. Justification by faith. Martin Luther said that the church rises and falls or falls upon its view of this doctrine of justification by faith. He says, if this doctrine is understood and proclaimed, the church will stand. If this doctrine is not first and foremost or in some way watered down, the church will You say, well, that's who we are. We believe this justified by faith. Yes, we say that. But yet this morning, I want us to understand that there are ways that we water this doctrine down every day. There are things that go in in our heart, go on in our heart and mind as believers. When we say, yeah, I believe that I'm justified by faith. I trust God. But let me add, I know God loves me more when I do this. I know God, you know, we we want to talk about justification by faith. Let me just tell you, there are five great truths, great doctrines that are ours that we need to cling to. First is faith, the justification by faith. Faith alone. We believe that we're saved by grace alone. By scripture alone. By Christ alone. To God alone be glory. These are called the the gospel of the five alones. (laughs) That we must cling to these. We must understand these. We must realize how foundational they are to our relationship with God. Faith alone justifies us. Grace alone. We're saved by grace. By scripture alone. The scripture is the authority of our life. By Christ alone. His work. His blood shed for us. The resurrection of Christ is our only hope. And our hope alone. For the God, for, to God alone be glory. God's glory alone. But this morning we want to focus on this one foundational truth. This one foundational doctrine. The doctrine of justification by faith. Because this is the answer to the great question. How can a man be made right with God? Now this morning in a crowd this size, there are people who have been asking that question. You know, I grew up in the church. Being a pew, I've always felt right at home in the church. As I've said before, I started going to church nine months before I was even born. And I knew there was a God. But the question in my life for 18 years was, how could I know this God? How could I have a relationship with this God? And you may have been in church all your life. You may be an adult. You may be a young child or a teenager. But that question is still pressing and it's bearing on your life. How can I know that I have a relationship with God? Which is the great question. Genesis chapter 15 answers that question for us. Let's begin to look at the text. Break it down. 
Number one, God reminds Abram of his promise. God reminds Abram of his promise. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Do not fear. Your reward will be great. Abram had been to battle. He'd just gone to battle against these kings. And Abram knew that there would be many more battles to be fought. But God, in His graciousness, reminded him, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. What a timely word for for a man in the midst of a battle, in the midst of life. You know, why did Abram need to be reminded again? God had just told him the similar things in chapter 12. Why did we find this three chapters later? God is saying the same thing. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be the father of many people. I am your reward. Let me tell you, church, we need to be reminded because, as I've said many times, we are monumental forgetters. We are monumental forgetters. We need to be reminded of the truth of God continually. We need to be reminded of the promises of God on a regular basis. You and I need to be in God's Word, feeding ourselves from the Word of God on a daily basis. We need to be coming together as the church is instructed to do in the book of Hebrews, encouraging one another and stimulating one another to love and good deeds as we we do that. And so much the more as the day of Christ approaches. We are monumental forgetters. We can't live this Christian life apart from the Word of God or from each other. And so God, in His personal way, comes to Abram and He reminds him of of these promises. I am a shield for you. What a great reassurance or source of comfort for Abram. Your reward shall be great. Again, He said, I am your exceeding great reward. God was going to honor His promises. God was going to do what He told Abram he would do. Let me tell you, we're getting at the essence of faith this morning. And many times uh, we tend to lose sight of what faith is all about. But faith is not believing God will do the impossible. Faith is simply believing that God will do what he says he will do. And for us to know what God says he will do, we've got to be in his word. To know what God says, we've got to be in his word. But we are all monumental forgetters. How often do we get anxious and afraid Because we forget that the Lord is with us, that the Lord is our shield. How often do we allow fear to come into our heart because we forget that he is our shield? How often do we throw a pity party and think we've been overlooked, forgetting that the Lord is with us? And not only is he with us, church, he is our great reward. When we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we find that he is all we need. He is all we need. And that's what God was telling Abraham right there. I'm going to protect you. I will be your shield. I am your exceeding great reward. Abram, I am all that you need. Church, we need to be reminded of that, don't we? That he is with us. And that he is our exceeding great reward. So in verse 2, Abram reacts to God's promise. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. (laughs) I love this because I think all of us can relate to Abraham. 
Abraham's known for what? His faith. But he has moments of weakness just like all of us. God says, I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. All of this is going to come about. But Abram responds with a problem. I don't have any children. The only heir, the only legal heir to my estate, Abram says, is my servant, Eleazar, the one who was born in my house. He was not a biological son, but yet he would be a legal heir because Eleazar, his chief servant, was born in his house. He is the only one who would have a right to carry on the name and inherit the property that Abram had. We know that Eleazar was his trusted servant. In chapter 24, after Isaac is born, Abraham sends Eleazar to look for a bride for his son, Isaac. So he was, he was like a son in the sense that he was born in his house, but he was not a biological uh, offspring of Abram. So what is Abram doing? He's saying, you know, God, you've made this promise. But he responds by looking at his circumstances. Now, when it, when it came to the test of anxiety, Abraham was afraid of the famine, so he went to Egypt. When he came and he, when he was in Egypt, he told some lies. He was afraid of the famine. He was afraid of man. He lied about his wife. So he failed the test of anxiety. Last week, we saw how he passed the test of ambition. The king of Sodom said, I can make you rich. You take all the spoils from this war. And Abram refused. No, God's my reward. I don't want people to say, you made me rich. I want them people to know that the Lord is my reward. So he failed the test of anxiety. He passed the test of ambition. And now he comes to this test that we all come to. It's a test where, are we going to trust God to do what he says he's going to do? Abram was looking at his circumstances now, it wasn't that he doubted the promise of God because he knew God was able to do it. But here's the, church, here's the problem, church. It was a matter of timing. It was a matter of timing. God, I know you're going to do it, but look, this is all I've got. I've got one servant. I don't have any children. Now, how are you going to do this? For years, I've talked to men about how Satan works in your life. Men, you know, doubt, the four D's of the devil. Doubt, depression, disappointment. And the women. That's how Satan works in the life of a man, okay? Those are the four D's of the devil. The Satan knows how to attack in each of those areas. But let me tell you another D this morning that's just as dangerous or just as, as hard to get over. And that is the delay. Delay. Abram was struggling with what we've all struggled with at some point in our life. God's timing. God's timing. You know, Brother Colby was talking about a while ago in our scripture, we, you know, we began by faith, but we want, to, we want to grow spiritually strong. We want to grow fast. We want to be strong, and there's nothing wrong. But let me tell you, church, it takes six weeks to grow a squash. It takes a thousand years to grow an oak. God, you know, our philosophy for years has been go deep, start small, go deep, and think big. Start small, go deep, think big. We want to set the world on fire, you know, as an individual, as a church. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we've got to do it in God's timing. We've got to do it in God's way. I think that a lot of churches, a lot of believers have tried to do too much too fast to get ahead of God. 
And we can do that in our own individual life. In terms of our marriage, a relationship, we get ahead of God. We want that relationship now. In that job, we want that promotion now. And so we are, you know, you know, this isn't exactly right, but I can do this and I know I'll get that promotion. So we want to get ahead of God. Let me ask you this morning. Are you like Abram? And you're looking at your circumstances and you're thinking about the future and you become impatient. And doubt creeps in because we don't like delay. We don't like to have to wait on the Lord. We struggle, all of us, by nature with God's timing in our life. Because we're all impatient by nature. The psalmist or the proverb, writer of Proverbs, Solomon says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. I think that's a good word for us this morning as we see this in the life of Abram. Again, the scripture tells us that God, he who began the work in you, will complete it, will perfect it in his timing, in his way. And God is going to grow us and use us as we focus on him and being the, you know, the scripture says again that God is transforming us from glory to glory into the image of his child, into the image of his son to make us more like Christ. But folks, that takes time. It takes time. Abram wanted things to happen right now. Again, the problem is we want God to work the way we think he ought to work. We're looking at our present circumstances rather than God's future glory. We're looking at our timetable rather than God's timetable. You know, we can be thankful. We're not where we want to be, but thank God we're not where we're going to be. <laughs> right? We're not where we want to be, but thank God we're not where we're going to be. We are all a work in progress. So church, what is that? That means that I need to be patient with you and you need to be patient with me. That we are all a work in progress. God's been gracious to me. I need to be gracious to you. God's been gracious to you. You need to be gracious to me. Because we see we're all a part of the process that God is performing, the work that God is doing in our midst. So Abram responded. Now notice how God responds to Abram's problem. Abram said, I got a problem. I don't have any children. This is, this is so good. Verse 4. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This man will not be your heir, Eleazar, the servant. You can forget about him. He may be your legal heir, but this is not what I have in mind. This is not what I have in mind. So, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. Again, Abram has no children. So what does God do? Verse 5. So he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. I love this. Because I, I see God's sense of humor right here. God is so personal. Abram is standing there. He's looking at all that he's got. I don't have anything. I don't have any children. All I've got is a servant. And so God says, okay, Abram, if you want to walk by sight, let me show you something. Step outside. If you want to walk by sight, look at those stars. This was God's great object lesson for Abraham. You're looking at what you don't have. I'm going to show you what I can give you. Amen? Now, I don't want to sound like some prosperity preacher here, but listen, stay with me. Well, sometimes we focus on the wrong things. We focus on our problem. We focus on what we don't have instead of focusing on 
who God is. Instead of looking up like we should, we're looking down all the time at at our circumstances. Instead of trusting the word of God, the promises of God. Again, that's what God did for Abraham in a very, I think, uh, as Barney Fife says, ironical way. You know, it's ironic. You think you have nothing. Let me show you. You got everything. One day you'll be the father of great nations. Your descendants will outnumber the stars. I mean, I think that's pretty cool. And you know, the second thing that I think is funny about this, do you remember when we started our study of Abram when he lived in Ur, the Chaldeans? In Joshua chapter 24, it said that our fathers worshiped other gods. And remember we said that the most common worship there was what? You remember? The moon. They were moon worshipers. And so what does God do? He takes Abram outside at night. And he says, look up there. You see the moon? You see all those stars? You know, Abram, you used to be a moon worshiping pagan back in Ur. I'm going to take the very thing that was a problem in your life and make it into something glorious. See, that's what God does. God takes our mistakes and turns them into trophies of his grace. Now, every time that Abraham would look at the stars, he wouldn't be worshiping the moon. He'd be reminded of the promises of God. Church, let me tell you, we're all broken in a lot of ways. And so instead of our brokenness being scars or reminders of our mistakes, God is so great, he can take the brokenness of our life and remind us of his grace. That he is the one who healed us. As we said before, it's our brokenness that allows God's grace into our life. But also it's our brokenness that allows God's grace to flow from our life. Our past mistakes can become trophies of his grace when we're trusting God. Abram's past pagan moon worshiping experiences were of the past now because when he looked in the stars at night, he's reminded the glorious promises of God. He can take our old mistakes. He can take our brokenness and make them trophies of his grace. The stars were a great object lesson for Abraham. It was very impressive, but it didn't change the fact that Abraham had no son, did it? I mean, it's grand and glorious. But, you know, when we leave here, we're going to go home, maybe to a bad marriage. We're going to go to work tomorrow. You know, a tough job. What are we going to do? Well, our only hope is in verse 6. Abram believed God's promise. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God's promise. In our study of Genesis, we we started in the very beginning. We're introduced to a new word here. It's believe. Did you know this is the first time in Scripture that it appears? I doubted that when I read that, so I went back and said, well, I know Noah believed God, but it doesn't say that explicitly. It says that Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Never said Noah believed God. This is the first time that we see the Hebrew word believe. And the word simply means amen. Amon in Hebrew, amen in Greek. Jesus, when he would say, truly, truly, I say to you, he's saying amen and amen and amen. Verily, verily, these words are reliable. These words are trustworthy. It's the same concept here. And so whenever God took Abram outside and he looked at the stars, he said, your descendants will outnumber the stars. Abram said, amen. (laughs) 
Amen. I agree with God. Isn't faith simple? A.W. Tozer said that faith is simply the gaze of the soul to God. In John chapter 3, when the serpent, Jesus recalls the account when the serpents were attacking the, the Israelites and they were all dying. And he told Moses, God told Moses, make a bronze serpent and lift it up. And he says, Jesus said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him, whoever looks to him shall be saved. That's all they had to do was just simply look at the serpent, serpent and they would be saved. That's what Moses, I mean, that's what Abraham did right here. He looked at the stars. He said, amen. I believe. And his life was changed forever. Faith, the writer of Hebrews says, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And who am I to argue with that definition? But I want us to break Abram's response down a little and see what we can learn about faith this morning very quickly. First of all, two things. The nature of faith and the results of faith. The nature of faith begins with revelation or knowledge. Faith begins with revelation. Now, this sounds like something that can only happen in the spiritual world, but but let me tell you, it's very practical. Uh, Take this bridge out here. They've been working on it for four years, okay? Now, one day, one day we have faith. They're going to finish that bridge, okay? One day. I'm almost promised it'll be done before football season for some reason. I don't know why. But anyway, when this, when this bridge is completed, here's an example of faith. begins with revelation. You're going to drive up there and you're going to see that bridge. And you're going to look at that bridge. And then the second part of faith is recognition or evaluation. I'm going to look at that bridge. I'm going to look at the structure. Or most, of us have been, most of us have been waiting so long we won't have a second thought. But I'm going to... Revelation. The bridge is there recognition, I think it'll hold me up, and then response, I'm either going to do one of two things. I'm going to drive across that bridge, or I'm going to turn around and go the way I'm going now, which is back to nowhere and turn around and come back and go all the way to Northport, okay? So I'm going to turn around and go back. So faith is revelation. We see something. Recognition, we believe, we, we assent that this will work, and then we respond. Same thing with that chair. I see that chair. I believe that chair will hold me up. I'll sit down. That's what Abraham did with God's word. God's promise. He heard God's revealed to him this promise. I'm going to make you the father of great nation. This was a truth that was revealed to him. Abraham, just like that, evaluated. On what basis? We don't know completely, other than the fact that he trusted in the power of God. He trusted in the awesomeness of God. As God had revealed himself to Abram, he recognized that God was trustworthy. He recognized that God was believable. He recognized that this would be a life-changing experience for him. And so he responded in faith. He believed. He believed. Revelation, we see or knowledge. Recognition, we evaluate. And then we respond. And you know, we do that every day, real quick, every day. Every day, just like that. But you know, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to our relationship with God, this is the most important process that we can ever go through. Because see, to, rec- to, to have truth, the gospel revealed to us, and to the recognize that Jesus is not just an ordinary carpenter, that he was resurrected from the dead, then to respond in faith, to believe is to obey. 
To believe the gospel is to obey the gospel, which is repentance and faith. So we see the nature of faith in Abram's encounter. What are the results of faith? It said he believed the Lord and it reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham instantaneously became a righteous man by trusting in the Lord and his plan. God declared him righteous. Now this childless, moon-worshipping pagan became righteous in the eyes of God simply by believing the promise of God. If God can do that for Abraham, what can he do for you? What can he do for me? Abram became a righteous man by trusting in the Lord his plan. This, he believed that this far-fetched plan would happen in spite of his present circumstances. No children, one servant. God was going to make him the father of many people. The results are amazing. God made him righteous. Let me tell you, he didn't circumcise anybody. He didn't baptize anybody. He simply believed God and he was reckoned or declared righteous in the eyes of God. No works to be done. He simply believed. What kind of righteousness? It was a righteousness which changed two things, his relationship and his lifestyle. This righteousness brought him into a relationship with Almighty God. Now he was the father of many nations, but he was a child of God. It changed his relationship with God. It changed his lifestyle. And from now on, he would be the father of the people of God. He would belong to God. His life would never be the same. He would become the father of all the people of God. It was a new lifestyle. Believing God changed his life forever. So the great question, how can a man be just before God? The answer is faith. Brings us to number three, where we are today. Christ is the answer to the great question. Now stay with me for just a moment because we know that between Abraham and Christ, there was the giving of the law. Abraham, as Paul points out so pointedly, Abraham was justified before God before the giving of the law. He was declared righteous before, without the law. The law was given to Moses and the nation of Israel to set them apart as God's people from all the other nations. No other nation has a law so great as our law. No other nation has a God so great as our God. We saw that in Deuteronomy. So the law set God's people apart. Now here's what I'm saying is because there are people today who say the only way to be righteous before God is to keep the law. They forget one thing. Abraham. Abraham was declared righteous before the law. That's Paul's point in Romans chapter 4. We see that. Uh, Romans says, now to the one who, Paul says in Romans 4, now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. See, when we believe, two things happen. A transaction occurs. A transaction occurs. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned, imputed, given to him as righteousness. When we believe in Christ, when we trust Christ, here's the great exchange, church. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. 
And that's wonderful. But you know what's even more wonderful? Our sin becomes his sin. Paul said that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Can you understand that? I mean, does that make sense? No. But that is the transaction that occurs. He takes our sin. We take his righteousness. And it's just as when Abraham believed God, it was reckoned to him. It was imputed to him. It it was put into his bank account. We like that, don't we? Have you ever had somebody put something in your bank account? Usually they take it out. But just suppose they could go and put something in your bank account. It's imputed into your account. It's deposited into your account by God into your heavenly account. Because I believe in Christ, his righteousness is imputed. A transaction occurs into my life, into my account. I stand before God as a believer in Christ, righteous. Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So church, let me tell you, every one of us is going to stand before God one day. And you'll stand before God in Christ's righteousness or in your own righteousness. And all of our righteousness, the Bible says, are like filthy rags. But in Christ, by faith, His righteousness, that transaction has occurred, has been imputed, imparted, deposited into my account. So a transaction occurs and quickly a transformation begins. The transformation begins. When we believe we become a child of God. We become a child of Abraham. You know who you are? We're one of those stars. (laughs) We're one of those stars. We're in that number. A transformation. But you know what? We're not a star yet. We're just kind of a little beam right now. But the moment we trust Christ, a transaction occurs, we're put, we're made righteous, but a transformation begins. God begins to transform us from glory to glory into the image of his son. We're not there yet. First John 3 tells us, beloved, now we are children of God right now by faith. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We don't know exactly. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. By faith, we become children of God. This is the point that our life changes. And now we're new creatures in Christ. And we're being transformed from glory to glory into his image. What's the key? Faith. Let me ask you this morning. Do you really believe God can do this? You say, well, preacher, you don't know my past. I don't. And it's not that I don't care. I do care about your past. But the point is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The righteousness of Christ is offered to you. The life of Christ is offered to you by faith. Your response is to receive it by faith, to trust God that he is able to do what he says he will do in your life. The moment you do that, a transaction occurs. God's righteousness becomes yours. A transformation begins. He will change your life. Not as rapidly as we'd like many times, but he will change your life. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Justification by faith. The great question is answered. How can a man be made right with God? 
Only by faith. You say, well, isn't there some other way? You know, Jesus asked that question in the garden. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Isn't there another way? That's what Jesus was asking. Isn't there another way? Isn't there another way a man could be right with God? If possible, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But there's no other way. Only through Jesus Christ. Let's pray.